Cold open question, Brendan Clean. We're doing a trade of value episode here. We're going to rank all a bunch of players that could be moved that are in trade rumors at the very least at this deadline. I'm going to ask you this. What team right now would make a trade to get a new coach? If they had to give up assets, just move some stuff around and get a new coach via trade right now, who would be most incentivized to do it? I have a very obvious answer to this that came to mind for me, but I'm curious to see where your head went. This is predicated on which teams you think are fixable by a coaching change, and that is the uh, most important ingredient. My answers, I'll do one in the East, one in the West. I have the Lakers in the West. The Who news of the day. What's going on right now. Yep. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And then I have the Cleveland Cavaliers, who I think of the playoff teams in the East are the group that I don't love the coaching fit of out there. So those are my answers. But I'm always the type that thinks, like, how much can a coach really change outside of the top, you know, three to five guys? So I would not personally be in a hurry to trade players for or picks for a head coach, no matter who I am in the NBA. But those are my answers as of right now. My first answer, the obvious one for me, was I think the Pistons just trying to salary dump Monty Williams somewhere would be like an amazing move. Just like reset the salary vibes. dumping a head coach is a great is a great bit. That uh, yeah, making yeah. like the rich owners pay the guys who are overpaid at the at the head coaching spot and getting like a first out of it. I like that. Yeah, I was just like, hey, you know, like Tillman, would you like? Can you just like eat Monty Williams' contract and like we'll g- we'll give you like a a, a protected first. I think that would be yeah. um, a good vibe. The Lakers were my other answer, just because I texted you this earlier, but the Lakers are fully just in prestige soccer zone now, where they're like the big club where if a year and a half goes by and like things aren't exactly how they envision them to be, the, the coach is thus in trouble, and they're just going to keep doing that like on a perpetual cycle. It doesn't matter if you're Frank Vogel. It doesn't matter if you're Darvin Ham and you won the Indies tournament and you've improved as a coach. You're going to get a year and a half. Things are going to go a little bit south, and then it's going to be like, should you get fired, even though you're clearly actually pretty good at your job and you have like kind of a weird roster? Like That's just the zone they're in, so that that's kind of the answer. It's and like those yeah. meme mazes, like those decision map memes that lead back to the same thing on all corners. You know, that like thing people will do and then it always leads back to fire the coach. It's like, if you answer yes to this, then this. And for the Lakers, you always somehow end up at fire the coach, no matter what the other things at the top of that were. Yeah, you could you could win a title like with Frank Vogel like a year ago. And it's like, I don't know. We sure about this, even though we changed the roster and kind of cut you at your kneecaps. You're actually the problem. Yep. It's not great. That's how it goes That's, out there. The Cavs are another good answer, though. I think I think they would get actually a boost from like, like a like an energy boost and like a offensive style boost from just being like Jordy Fernandez. You are a new head coach. Yeah, both teams. It would be bring an offense first, creative, innovator in there and see if that can goose up the personnel a little bit. But you know, again, I don't know how much a coach changes for most NBA teams. If I'm being 100% honest. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting philosophically, but the Hawks are maybe testament that like a really good coach doesn't actually like mean as much as you as you wanted to for if, if we're looking at that way. All right, coming up on today's show, we're going to talk Ricky Rubio, seemingly done in the NBA. We're going to talk NBA trades and a lot more. Oh, a spectacular 
throws it. Alley. Oh! This is the Just Basketball Show for January 5th. I'm Chris Manning. That is Brendan Clean. Please check out our partners at Thrive Fantasy. Thrive Fantasy is a player prop DFS platform where you can pick more or less on your favorite players across multiple sports, including the NBA and the NFL. Sign up today with our code JustBasketball, all one word, and Thrive will match your first deposit up to $250. Our guy Colby Olson and myself will be doing TikToks during the week, every week, for over-unders for that slate of games. We're, we're going to be tracking our picks, all that stuff, over on the Just Basketball Fans TikTok page. Again, if you haven't already, five-star reviews. Give us a follow on your podcast platform of choice and subscribe on YouTube. Brendan, the real the, the news of the day as far as players goes, the Darvin Ham one is, I think, certainly the, the bigger story narratively. But I think today sure. is kind of kind of a solemn day to some degree because Ricky Rubio and the Cavs have agreed to a buyout. And Ricky Rubio put out a statement that, without going into what he's actually been dealing with, hinted at that he's been in a really tough place. Um, people can go find the statement, I, I think, all on his social media channels. But this is an end of something. A guy that has been in the league and around basketball for so long has been, you know, in Cleveland, I think other places, beloved by all of his teammates, by these organizations, by fan bases, a really important guy in the international basketball scene. And this is just a, an unfortunate way for his career in the NBA. And he said as much in there. He is, this is, he's barely played on a three-year deal he signed last year. And he's now just gone in the wind. And I think for me, I look at him and this is 12 years of a guy that's a genius passer, a great teammate, maybe never hit the highs people would have hoped, but a really great career. And it's, unfortunate that this is how his NBA days are done. Yeah, you hate when guys don't get to go out on their own terms, but I think Ricky has plenty to be proud of. You know, when you combine 100%. in the the international accolades that he's been able to, to rack up. I mean, this guy four years ago was the FIBA World Cup MVP. You know what I mean? And And, you know, when you factor in what he did with Spain, I'm sure he is is enormously proud of all of that but i think too like we spend a lot of time like how many documentaries are there and sappy articles and all those types of things about the guys who didn't live up to the hype you know and sometimes that can get pretty sad and pretty scary you know and for him to arrive in the nba with as much attention as he did as this you know long-haired genius passing small guard who you know was in Steph's draft and and all this other stuff and maybe not live up to that but at the very least carve out a long NBA career for himself is very very impressive and and he had to adjust his game to do it right like he became a serviceable three-point shooter, somebody who could create his own shot, even if it was a little unorthodox and he wasn't always wanting to be doing that, you know, and defensively, you know, finding a way in a league that was getting bigger toward the end of his career to still make an impact and all these other ways that he kind of just figured it out. I think that that's a, 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 a thing we don't appreciate nearly enough about athletes is 
when they don't hit the top outcome or the low outcome, but they land somewhere in the middle, that also is super impressive to me. So I, I think that's what I'll kind of look at with Ricky. And I got to cover him for maybe his best season. I know you got to be around him the past two uh, after a pit stop in Minnesota in between it's, those. It's- well, it's really three. It's really like I was looking back at this, Brendan. For me, it was like three months because he comes in in the summer in a, tor- a trade for Torian Prince and he tears his ACL on December 28th. He was magical those three months, those like f- three, four months. And then we've really never seen him again. We saw him last year a little bit, but it was not the rookie Rubio that left on December 28th. To, mm-hmm. to me, when that injury on December 28th, he's going for a triple-double in that game. He did not need to be in that game anymore, really. And he tears ACL. And I, his career changed there. I don't know like how you know could he have sustained that play he was at. He was playing a ton of minutes that year for a Cavs team that was on the up-and-up. I think they certainly missed him the rest of that year when they ultimately lose in the playing tournament. But then he gets traded to the Pacers, ends up coming back to the Cavs in the summer after never playing for Indiana because of the injury. And then just never looked physically right last year, and then and now he's gone. Yeah, that injury feels like such like the the pivot point of of where this all kind of starts and and ending up here for him. And that that's unfortunate because he was magical in that game. He had magical moments that season. He was really good in Phoenix. He was he had moments in the second Minnesota stint that I was just like, man, this guy's this guy's gonna like contribute in some way for a long time. Just how smart he is, and now it's gone. And just sort of a type of player that might not really ever exist again. I mean, I'm not, I hate to say that, but at least somebody who will start for good teams and play a lot of minutes. I don't think a, you know, smaller, thinner, non-shooting guard is going to be around in the league again. And so, you know, again, the fact that he was still playing into this modern era and making an impact despite all of that is very cool. And he's just a beloved guy is what I was going to say about the time I got to cover him. I just, you know, the Suns are now where they are. Their turnaround was very sudden, but he was a part of that. And he got traded for Chris Paul, which then became, you know, on down the line of all the transactions to build this super team. And it's sort of crazy to think back on that. He also was in the news recently because somebody else on Utah got a triple double and it had been thousands of days, but Actually, it hadn't because Ricky Rubio had a triple-double in the postseason. That didn't technically count in that record. He had a triple-double in the postseason. You know what I mean? He's just a a very unique player that uh, I I hope basketball history kind of remembers because he deserves it. Before we move on, can I just... Do you have a favorite Rubio moment? I I, I think I do. I have I have one that I can just give you. So he scored in November of his year in Cleveland, had this monster game in MSG. I think he had like 37 and made like a ton of threes and had like a 10 assists. They beat the Knicks by like dunce. And he's doing his post-game interview. And Darius Garland just like comes up to the, I think it was Serena Winners at the time. I think that was her first year. And he starts just screaming Ricky Rubio and the joy that you just saw from him and what Rubio like in a very short amount of time like meant to that locker room. It was so evident in that moment. I wasn't even in the building for that, obviously. I wasn't in New York. And I was just like blown away by what this guy 
kind of did. And it was after like he gets there on media day and it's like it's like very weird to see him in a Cavs jersey. It was like giving me like when Derek Rose played for the Cavs energy where I'm like, are we sure this is real? Are we sure like I'm not in a simulation where this like it doesn't make any sense? But it was. And he was so good that year. And that moment on this big stage was just I didn't know he had that. He just absolutely was cooking. He might have won six men of the year that year if he'd stayed healthy the whole freaking season. He was that good. Um, so to yeah. me, that's that's my Ruby one. There's probably Spain ones I'm forgetting. I, there's got to be something I saw him do for the Spanish national team that supersedes all of this because that, I think, is the thing that mattered most to him. But it is what it is. It's a good one. Yeah. Probably the triple-double was what came to mind in the postseason yeah. for me. You know, that Houston series and, and the Jazz kind of reaching their most fun. I think they obviously had higher highs, but then the expectations came, and it was like could you guys like make the conference finals and they yeah. couldn't do that and it went downhill very quickly but it felt like the breakthrough moment where donovan's there and hayward's gone and rubio and mitchell are this unorthodox backcourt somehow going toe-to-toe with like james harden and chris paul uh that was that's probably like the highest of highs believe he also holds the record for most points scored against team usa so they're just a, a illustrious career. Best wishes and all empathy and love to, to Ricky Rubio. All right, Brennan, let's do a little thought exercise before we get into our our real big exercise here. I'm going to run through the best players traded at the last five trade deadlines and see if there's any. And I have three lessons coming from this. You could tell me if I'm full of it, if I'm on something with these, whatever. Definitely. To lay out briefly what the exercise, the ranking will okay. be later, we're going to rank the best players that may be traded now. So it's useful, I agree, to look back at what the best player has recently been to make sure we're not going too crazy, but also to make sure we're thinking big enough, I think. Yeah, that that was my check on this. When I went back and did this, I forgotten the proximity to some of these things and there's also two there's two trades in here that i think really speak to you sometimes these aren't just about now they're about adding to a team to extend or improve their window a little bit is how you i think you also do have to look at this in a trades league all right last year best player traded is kevin durant okay that Where'd there's not go? a ton there did he go to phoenix i think is he maybe for the suns so still not fully sure that's real but it would appear that he plays for the suns yeah, I'm not sure about that Bradley. Does the Bradley Beal play for the Suns? No, I'm not sure either. All right, 2022. There's a lot here. James Harden gets traded at this deadline. The Halliburton Sabonis swap was on February 8th, two days before the deadline that year. So I'm going to count that. And then Derek yeah. White to yeah, Boston also. Derek White goes to Boston on this deadline as well. And I think just considering how good Derek White has become and how important he is on a very, very good Celtics team, I think he deserves consideration in there as well, that he's been really additive. 2021, I think the answer is Aaron Gordon goes to the Nuggets. I think that's the best guy at that deadline. Nikola Vucevic goes to the Bulls as well at that deadline. 2020 is the Andrew Wiggins-D'Angelo Russell swap that happened a few days before the deadline, and then Clint Capella goes to the Hawks is, is the other one. So that's a little bit of a lower one, but Wiggins obviously part of a title team eventually there. And D'Lo has been in the Lakers and, and all that. 2019, Marcus Saul goes to the Raptors. That obviously helps them win the title. That's kind of the best immediate impact trade we have seen as far as this goes the last five years, I would say, considering that won sure. them a title. 76ers sure. also get Tobias Harris at that deadline, and Chris Tapps goes to Dallas. 
So here are my and those two. Like we can't overlook those two. I think right because I know we're getting four years away now. Marcus Saul doesn't even play in the NBA any longer. But Uh Tobias Harris, that was a massive trade. Landry Shamit was a very well like sought after prospect back then. That trade was not rumored to be going on at all. It felt like the Sixers continuing to level up out of the process years and gun for a title. And then Porzingis to Dallas, I mean, that was like the best Knicks young player post Patrick Ewing. And they traded him a little bit out of nowhere too on his rookie contract to play with Luka Doncic. So those were huge trades, even if now it's like Tobias Harris, like shut up, you know what I mean? And Porzingis was disappointing with the Mavs, but that's three pretty big trades there too. So... We, uh, we, we're on a pretty good run of, of league-changing deals, mostly every single deadline and especially lately. Yeah, Landry Shaman now playing spot minutes for the Wizards, so that, that's where he's at right now in case you're wondering. Things have right, changed, less, yeah. Things, things, things change very quickly in the NBA is, is maybe the subtext to all of this. All right, three lessons. Number one, superstar trades can absolutely happen at the deadline. Maybe the Nets thing in particular is just super combustible and leads to some of them. But I think we just know that they can happen in some t- and maybe not every year, but they're going to happen. I think that's just part of this. Now, number two, good players will be traded. Stuff is going to happen. Trades will be made. We are not in an era, I don't think, where tr- like stuff and good players are not going to be moved. It maybe isn't always clear who that's going to be up until closer. We're going to do, I think, some just straight-up speculation about some of the guys we're going to talk about today. But good players will be traded. It happens every year, and you got to... Remind yourself of that. Number three, aggressive trades do not equal championships or contendership immediately. Again, once in the last five years, the best player dealt at the deadline based on this list that I made directly led to a title that year. That was Marc Gasol in 2019 to Toronto on that Kawhi team. That was a, a very specific set of circumstances that crystallized in that title for Toronto in 2019. If I can add there too, because I... Uh, may or may not have pitched multiple outlets a story on this when Durant got traded to the Suns and got zero responses. So I did some research, and look, it's coming in handy. Um, you go back further, Rasheed Wallace is really the only high-profile one ever to work. And that obviously was when the Pistons won the title, but uh, Pau Gasol to the Lakers took another season. The... Uh, Clyde Drexler to the Rockets in the mid 90s was another pretty, you know, that was them really shaking things up and it did not work that season. There's just not enough time historically. So that's kind of the inverse. I think it's like we're seeing more of these, but there's also no real evidence that in the immediate it actually pays off. It's kind of a funny dynamic there that little more desperation, but not a lot of payoff there. Yeah, and the team, there's two teams that made the finals um, in, in the 2018 Cavs reset their roster at the deadline. They don't win the finals, obviously. That's the year J.R. Smith got turned into a meme, but they made the yeah. finals after trading their whole roster and bringing in Larry Nance and Jordan Clarkson and Rodney Hood. Remember Rodney Hood? What a time. And But that's role players, they, right? They didn't well, get yeah. LeBron James yeah. at the deadline. Yeah. No, but it's because of LeBron that, like, and then 2015 they get Chumpert and Mozgov and J.R. Smith, and that gets that catalyzes them. But it's because you had LeBron to provide the infrastructure. It's not star guys, and even I would say Gasol and Gordon, they were like a very high class like role guy more than they were 
superstar. So again, other guys going to yeah. win titles from this group. Gordon wins a title in Denver. Wiggins wins one with the Warriors. But it took time. And again, those guys are not superstars overall. They are superstars in their role. So that leads me to that leads me us to a question, Brennan, that you asked, and I think is kind of lumped into this. Is someone better than OG traded before the deadline? As we look at this market and we think about it, and OG is the first big domino off the board. That's the first big trade. Came a little bit out of nowhere, obviously. Are we now going to see... Do you think there's a world where we could see something that is in the vein of what we've just kind of gone through before we get to the deadline, which is about a month away? My instincts are yes. We're going to get to the list, but the sheer number of players that we have put into our piggy bank here that I think you could say are better than OG Ananobi is so high that I tend to lean toward if even one of them were to get dealt, that means somebody better than OG Ananobi got dealt. So I just think the math says probably and the history says probably, but that's also different than saying somebody more impactful to the title race gets traded for the reasons we just talked about. And I do think OG Ananobi, the fact that they got it done so early in the year and how good of a fit I think he's going to be with the Knicks, that might be the most impactful trade, but I think we might see a better player still get dealt. And it might come from the Toronto Raptors. Is a, It's another part of it, I think, Chris. Yeah, I mean, it could be Siakam. It could just be Siakam. Yeah. But I, I think I think there's also just a real possibility that like we don't know. That like something is just going to happen. And we're just like, sure, that that's not happened. I, I looked at the Warriors as like an option for this, but I just can't convince myself that they're gonna they're gonna do it. Wiggins might be the one, but I was like, could there be like a pre deadline Draymond thing where they just get ahead of it and or a Clay thing? And I, I just can't really see it. And I was like going through the whole league and trying to like think about who this could be, and I couldn't think of another team I, on the top of my head that I was really like sure might go ahead and do this. You know, I was like. Maybe I guess I guess the team that would strike me as possible would there's two teams in the East. It would be aside from Toronto would be the the Hawks and the Bulls. Do they just does Levine come back? It's I think he might play Friday. Is the reporting? Does he play a yeah. couple games and then and then get traded somewhere? Do the Hawks just get a little antsy and like just Clint Capella get traded? Do they trade one of their underwhelming forwards that I don't know why no one would really trade give them good stuff for those forwards anyway, but like, do they get antsy and do something? Those are the, the other teams, I think, in the East, aside from Toronto, that I could talk myself into doing it. The West I found a little bit harder, but again, the fun of this, I think, is that someone could come out of nowhere and surprise us and do something really bold. I think that's the thing, right? And I've denied or refused to believe the reporting that this will be a quiet deadline. And I think the history we've already talked about, the names we're going to hit on today kind of highlight that. But I think there's also just more sellers this year than people are allowing themselves to admit. Um, Like to me in the West, I think the Jazz are a perfect candidate for what you're talking about. I mean, why, why would they push we already saw them kind of do a little mini sale last year i would expect the same this year portland has players that i think would would be desirable i even think houston i i don't think they want to tear down but 
you know, as long as these injuries that they're dealing with to Jabari Smith and uh, others are not too significant, like a Jay Sean Tate or a Jeff Green or a Jock Landale, those players are, you know, potentially serviceable for other teams. I just think there's always more trade meat on the bone than we allow ourselves to believe. And the other wrinkle I wanted to throw in here as we prep for trade season, Chris, is the second apron. Mm. The NBA's new, you know, financial reality here where I have an article from the boardroom up that the Heat, Nuggets, and Sixers are over the regular luxury tax line right now, and the Clippers, Warriors, Suns, Bucks, and Celtics are all already over the second apron. This year, it's not that awful to be in that space, but this is kind of the last... uh, you know, dipping your toe year that these teams are going to get. So by next league year, next October, or I guess now we're in 2024, this coming October, these teams, if they would like to no longer be in that, they need to start planning now. If they're like the Suns, just saying, fuck it, we're, we're all in. Maybe those teams might even be more aggressive because they're already in this awful space. Why not push harder? I don't know if other teams will follow that path, but I kind of get the thinking. This hammer came down that we weren't expecting. We're not just going to, you know, roll over. We might as well keep, uh, you know, arming up. So I think those eight teams plus others that are kind of looking ahead to potentially being in that realm or, you know, jumping from the first apron into the second apron like the Sixers might those considerations are going to come up too. Like you said, the the deadline is increasingly a future looking thing, not just from February to July. I think too, the, the second apron thing is a good point because I think we don't know how teams are really going to react to that yet. They can say there can be reporting about it and inclinations about it, but we're getting into the real time where teams have to start thinking about it. That's going to, yeah. it's going to make an impact. It's going to make an impact, not only on trades, it's eventually going to matter for contracts. It just has to, I think, at some point. And that could mean what contracts teams take on. Well, how many big contracts do teams want? I, I do. The, some of this is, I think, very much tied to what the next TV rights deal is going to be, which we talked about as a story to watch this year. The NCAA's new TV deal being what it is would probably give the NBA executives some optimism that their TV deal is also going to be large, it would, would mm-hmm. be my guess when you think about how much that new deal for the NCAA is. But. We will see. I, can you, should we make a? What teams do you think are absolutely? Is there any teams in the middle ground? I guess I, we kind of think and identify who the sellers should be and who they might be, and then we can look at the buyers, like the real contenders. Is there anyone to you before we get to this exercise that strikes you as maybe somewhere in the middle, and they could go either way? I think Houston, as I mentioned, is kind of an example of that. They probably can do both. I guess there's like do both and we don't know yet. That's kind of like splitting the middle even more. I know we're getting uh, too tiered out with that kind of thinking, but the Pacers are an example of kind of could do both, I think. Um, the teams that I'm just not sure which direction they'll go, I think it's it's Cleveland. I think mm-hmm. that it's uh, the Mavs. Uh, I don't think they'll sell, but how aggressive are they going to be buying? Um, the Kings. So... Yeah, I I don't think there's going to be any surprise team that we currently think is a buyer that suddenly becomes a seller. I doubt that. But I think 
uh, how aggressively the potential buyers in the middle are is probably always a big question that kind of determines a deadline. But I don't think we're in for another Nets last February thing where a title contender becomes a seller out of nowhere. You know, that that's a probably once in a decade type of implosion. But um, yeah, I think give we're ready Clippers, to give the Clippers 12 months. Um, and well, James Harden's still there. True. Hold on. Actually, I want to say one last thing before to add on to your point about contracts. I think there's yeah. some good examples of what you're hitting on there too. Like uh, specifically, I think of the Minnesota Timberwolves who aren't yet in the luxury tax or the second apron, but do they want to be the team? to pay Mike Conley or Kyle Anderson their next contracts or like, yeah, can't, can they afford to pay like one or both of them their next contracts like that? It's a real thing. Do the Sixers actually want to keep Tobias Harris long-term or might it make sense to at least poke around on his trade market? I think those are some examples of not only this year, but, are we sure that that player, we want them to be on our team next January? And what can we be doing to be proactive there? Those things start to come into consideration for sure. Yeah, great calls there. All right, before we get to our rankings, I want to tell you about Homage. Homage is the ultra-comfortable specialty apparel company with the NBA and WNBA licenses that use vintage-inspired designs to pay homage to the greatest stories, traditions, and figures across sports, music, and pop culture. Use the link below to make your purchase and support the Just Basketball Show they're putting out some good wrestling tees right now. If that's your jam, they're marketing some Royal Rumble stuff. I've had my eye on a bronze starter jacket from them for a long time. Maybe I'll use our link below and pay ourselves. Brendan's got his Grand Canyon tee from Homage on right now. They're super comfortable. Support Homage. Very soft. Basketball show. Very, very soft. Really good basics, too. If you just want some like basic clean tees, they have those. Or some sweatpants. A-plus stuff. All right. Here's the rule. Of this guy has to be plausibly traded at this deadline. So we're not going to be like Anthony Davis is the most fun speculative trade candidate you come up with. There's nothing that makes us think that that guy could plausibly be traded. We're going to go back and forth and nominate guys and organize this list. Brennan, let's just start with who I think is the is the number one best player possibly traded at this deadline. I just want to rip this Band-Aid off now. I'm going to go with Larry Markkinen. I'm going to nominate Larry Markkinen for the number one spot here as a guy that could really move the needle for a big team. I am dying for the Oklahoma City Thunder. The more and more I think about it, that's kind of the guy. The Jazz are, again, a team that have some other names you could, we can get into, but I, I think Markkinen might be the guy that could tilt the, tilt the title race this year at the deadline and be a really great ad for a team just based on what he is, based on his how he profiles, his ability to do a bunch of different things, his size. He's really blossomed, and I think he's a guy that can scale up on a really good team if, if he's traded at this deadline. So just because the OKC thing is the popular internet pack uh, partner of player and team, I think it's worth digging into. I don't think he's I don't think he's what they would be looking for defensively. The more that I watch yeah. them. And that's part of why I don't think it's going to happen. I also, we talked about it, hit them in general on the last show, and I explained why I don't think a big move is necessary or smart for them right now either. So that's part of it. But yeah, I, and I and I tend to agree. I don't love that defensive fit. 
Yeah. Yeah. So is there is there is there another team you would like for him that has the reason like reasonably could try to compel the Jazz? You do have a lot of picks of their own due to the Mitchell and Gobert trade, so they're not going to necessarily be bowled over by just a gobsmack of picks. I think as a just making a team better with generally the assets to get it done, even if I'm not going to map it all out and tell you they're going to win the bidding war, I really like him on the Sixers. Mm. I think that you don't need as much in the way of rim protection help and size and rebounding as you do with Oklahoma City. So he just plays next to Embiid and is just like a turbocharged version of the various four men that they've rolled out in years past. I just, I really like that one. Um, but I, I want to ask you this because you picked Markinen first. Does that mean that you think Markinen is better than Donovan Mitchell or that Donovan Mitchell doesn't pass the plausible test for you? No, it's, I think it's plausible. They're, they're signaling so hard via so many different people, Cleveland, that they don't want to trade him, then it makes me think they might trade him. Like, when Zach Lowe and Jake Fisher and I think Shams and Mark Stein all kind of report the same thing, that the Cavs aren't entertaining offers, it makes me think that they're maybe just trying to drum up offers. That they are absolutely entertaining offers. Because yeah. they, but they just they just want like the biggest offers possible. Just last thing on marketing, the other team that I the other team that I thought for him is just how many picks and Randall to get him to the Knicks. I think Danny Ainge hears the name Julius Randall come out of uh, whoever's running the front office in New York's mouth and says uh, no. I don't think yeah, Danny probably. Ainge knows the phrase LOL, but if he did, he would probably say that. He doesn't use emojis, but he'd send like a crying emoji, just being like, "You serious, bro?" Yeah, that's probably true. So Markinen's better than Mitchell. I, th- I don't know if he's like, he's not. He, he's not. But I think there's like a there's a way that I view him as like a cleaner fit for in, a, in different situations where I could just see it hit him being a version of like the Aaron Gordon thing, where it's like you get a really good sure. guy in, and maybe it doesn't happen right away, but he just adds to whatever you're building. And I think Mitchell is kind of changing what you're building in a way that I think carries a little bit more risk in some ways. That's just why I put him one. I also just want it to be a little spicy. So I'll just pick Mitchell then and nominate him. I think that Mitchell is a perfect example of why we did the intro of the recent history and the yeah. NBA history whatever team gets Donovan Mitchell, that is too significant of an assimilation process to win a championship. One, I'm skeptical of Mitchell doing that until I see a lot more from him in the postseason, period. But I'm definitely skeptical that he's going to come onto a team and be ready to do that three months later. So... I don't know if you've thought about not from a Cavs fan perspective, but from just a what team would Mitchell truly fit on the best angle. But I don't see any place that he would go maybe outside of Miami that I would have any real hope could, you know, push for a a championship right away with him. Miami would be a really excellent fit, I think, for what he is and, and what some of his weaknesses are. And that's a place that I, I do think could have an immediate smash return. That That is just a machine that keeps on humming, and you put him in that system with Jimmy Butler, with the, the playmaking infrastructure they have, with Bam Adebayo. Like, I think that team is just absolutely humming with Mitchell. 
I, that's kind of the only answer, I think, as far as hitting the ground running. You look out west, I don't think there's a team really in that conference, in the upper echelon, that even really should be looking at a Mitchell trade, I think, is the thing. Like, you could convince me the Pelicans, but I don't think that's elevating them in the way that they might hope. If they <laughs> also, could, he's they, probably they would, leaving. Yeah, they would kind of just be like subbing themselves in for the calf situation. Is just like, is he going to stay and giving up stuff for him when you maybe shouldn't do that? I mean, like, you know, I, I like about- him in Brooklyn. I think Brooklyn is Miami and Brooklyn to me are the two. I think I don't know how I ended up following and getting uh, you know my algorithm filled with so many Nets fans, but recently I feel like that fan base is low-key quietly the one of the more angry ones in the nba i'm seeing like impassioned hate against mikhail bridges's offensive game that i can't quite place considering he is fully in over his head with how much they're asking him to do and i think any reasonable person could see that but it feels like the limitations of even a roster that is clearly transitional for this franchise i think that's kind of they're bumping their head up against like we have to got to we got to do the transitioning part a little more here. We can't keep this thing that's just not working because it doesn't seem to be benefiting anybody because nobody really seems to be getting much better either because there's just such obvious holes in the roster. And I think Mitchell fills a lot of those just as somebody that can have the ball in his hands and even out what the offensive responsibilities need to look like. Their package, I think, would be a, a big question there, but. That team feels ready-made for Mitchell, probably even more than Miami, because Miami doesn't like super duper need him. They were just in the finals. Whereas Brooklyn, it's like, can we can we get somebody in here, please? Yeah, but where I would disagree with you that I think the Heat are the more ready one, just because I think you get Mitchell in there, you're supercharging yourself to make an even more real push to win a championship. Jimmy Donovan, Bam is electric and fits together perfectly. I think Miami is the, I also think Miami is the situation that can coax something out of Mitchell. We haven't seen yet that could push him out of side of what he just naturally wants to do. Cause they're just not going to put up with Donovan not doing what like the heat culture is about. That's just the, the uniqueness of that situation. I don't know. If Brooklyn's going to do that. I don't know if the Knicks are the, are, as the other team that has long been linked to Mitchell could do that. I don't know if there's another scenario out there that really, gooses him up in that way. The Heat one would just be really fascinating. So I, I think he should be one. I, I think I, I just wanted to troll with Mark and if I'm being honest. Should we put Mitchell one as, as kind of the No, top of we're list? doing it. We're doing it the way we're doing it. I think right. Mark is an obviously fine pick. He's an all-star player, but um, those are probably the best top two, no matter how you're doing the list, unless we want to get particularly spicy here, but I, I think I, I think if we're really holding ourselves to the plausible part of this, then yeah, we have to keep it to those two. So you're next, though. What's your next nominee for uh, best guy traded at the February deadline? This one will be quick. It's Siakam. I just think he's really good. I think he can help teams. I think he can give teams an, uh, an evolved identity. I think that's just a guy that clearly should be traded. It's just staring Toronto in the face to do it. There are teams that there's, a, I think, a good amount of teams that it makes sense for. You could convince me of certain ones. I, I particularly like the Kings one more than the others. I think that's kind of where I've settled on that. So to me, that's the next guy. I think that I would rather have Markin than him, but I think the cost of Siakam is a little bit lower. He's certainly a little bit different. He's a little bit older. you got to pay him sooner. So there's, there's certainly some downside to it. 
and I would be wondering what his next deal is really going to look like and how much you're going to commit there. But he, to me, is is the clear next guy in this list. Okay, agreed. We've talked a lot about Siakam, including more in this in our Ananobi breakdown. So my next pick or nominee would be somebody that I don't think we've talked about much at all, Dejounte Murray. I have to admit to you that while I think his con <laughs> his contract makes him, excuse me, a much more appealing guy to trade for if I'm an NBA executive, I am not very in on what DeJounte Murray is as an so NBA why, player. Why are you anymore. why are you okay then why are you putting him at why are you nominating him here fourth if you're not that in on what he is as an NBA player? I guess I'm thinking of best as sort of like guy who fetches the biggest package. And I think we know that based on what Atlanta gave up to get him the first time, the fact that there already seems to be a a line of people who are wanting him, that makes me think that there might be a pretty big trade for him. I'm just saying... How clutch of you. He has a lot to prove... Yeah, well, clutch or... I mean, I don't know. I think there's a lot of places he seemingly could end up, but I mean, it's it honestly reminds me of the point I was uh, making when we were talking about Rubio, which is mm. thin one-position defenders who aren't knockdown shooters. What is that in 2024? What 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 value does that give you? Is that a guy that you fully even know can play against every postseason opponent you might face. I don't know, you know? So I think that's a pretty big open question with him, but it seems like he would still fetch a pretty big haul and just how much he's paid and everything. It just seems like the league's perception of him is still pretty high, but is there somebody else I should have put in there ahead of him? I thought Levine maybe should go in there, but I think they're kind of linked in the same way. I'm waiting for one of us to really swerve here and and do a bit. Honestly, like I had a, I, you know, I'm just going to do it. The name I would have done just for the sake of the bid is Alex Caruso, because I think that guy is just going to come in and be fucking awesome on a title contending team. And mm-hmm. I just don't know how, like, Jante Murray's gotten worse at defense, and I don't want him being like my, my second creator necessarily. I want him on a team where he's like my third creator. And he's making so much mm-hmm. money that I'm just like, what is the ecosystem with this exactly if you're trading for him? Is it going to come online quickly? I look at Alex Caruso and I say, yes, am I going to have to pay him? And he's getting a little bit older, sure. But that guy fucking whips. And he's going to be a 16-game mm-hmm. player. We've seen him contribute to a title before. He's on a bargain deal. That guy, is a team that has the assets and needs a backup guard should just look at Alex Caruso and just go get him. Because you will get a good return on that. And I don't know, some of the higher paid guys, it's not as much of a guaranteed return bank for your buck situation. And I think teams should be considering some of this in terms of the cap, in terms of their overall spend. Look for guys that are a little bit underpaid. And it just so happens in this case that Caruso is underpaid and really good. Yeah, I do want to point out about Murray that he is making threes this year. He's at 38%. He's at 41% on pull-up threes. I'm not entirely convinced that that outlier number follows him to whatever his new team is, you know, in a situation where he's maybe 
expected to do a little bit more defensive defensively the ball's not quite in his hands as much but he has to make threes and honestly catch and shoot seemingly has been the the bigger holdup for him throughout his career you you called him ideally a third creator I, I might agree with that but those guys have to be killer shooters you're only allowed to not be a great shooter if you either have the ball in your hands all the time or never you know what I mean so a guy who has to have the ball but can't shoot and then if he doesn't have the ball that lack of shooting hurts you like it it's that's why he's such a hard fit I do think the Lakers could absorb him and it wouldn't be too big of a difference from how I was optimistic about like the Gabe Vincent addition for them right so that fit would make me pretty intrigued uh Alex Crusoe I mean no matter where he goes I think it's going to be a slam dunk I'll go ahead and nominate somebody else yeah please Draymond Green okay let's get this is this is the real spice because he's back at the training facility or will be soon he's yeah will be soon he's been away from the team he was at LeBron's birthday party is kind of the last public appearance we've seen from him while he's been away, the Warriors have formed some kind of identity that is not exactly working perfectly, but it is something. The young guys are getting some love. The young guys on the team, particularly Kaminga and Moody, are getting looks as being effective in turning a corner. He would be... There are two parts of this. Number one, it would be such a seismic moment in like the book that will inevitably be written about this Warriors era for Draymond to get traded. And then it's also finding the right team that would be willing to do it and be willing to yep. take on the Draymond risk. Uh, I can think of a couple teams, but I think... Give them to me because I had a hard time. I could see the Cavs doing it. I really, and he's going to play with Evan Mobley? I think you would be like... You'd be weird, but I think that's the way you'd... you'd hit. Like, there'd be some... There'd be the real bet on... Let's get a real veteran tough guy to like lead us and we trade Jared Allen and keep Donovan Mitchell and like we're gonna ride this identity. I don't think it's a great idea, but I could I could see themselves talking themselves into it. The Pistons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You that know? one is almost too obvious to where I'm just like, no way. What about Memphis? I just think he I can't imagine like you remember the thing about some of the bad teams is people were ready to write the obituary on Draymond's career during the season that Steph broke his thumb. Yes. Because of his complete misery in that situation, losing night to night, and his very noticeable lack of effort and was out of shape and all these things. So it's like, yeah, okay, he's from Michigan. The Pistons could absolutely use an enforcer like that, but... What version of Draymond Green are you really getting? You said Memphis. He has to go somewhere with shooting everywhere. Okay. Here's so the other one. I, that's why it's same with Cleveland. I, he can't play next to another big. He can't play with a bunch of questionable shooters. If it's not going to be with Steph, he really needs to be somewhere that can make up for the fact that he just doesn't even really do much outside of passing and screening on offense anymore. The other one that is also has a little bit of a shooting problem, but they could use an upgrade at the four, and ownership there has a connection to the Warriors is the Kings. Yeah, that's the one to me. Mm, okay, tell me on it. I was I'm a, I'm a little him and Sabonis together is really tricky. 
sure. they're both really creative. They're both really good passers. They're both high IQ guys. But do they have enough shooting? <clears throat> do they have the right infrastructure for him? And I, I also just th- I I think any team that would theoretically do this would have to be very have to do some background checking on is Draymond going to show up and actually buy into this, or is he going to show up and just blow this whole thing up in our faces? Yeah, which is why Mike Brown being the guy to sure that's absorb a good that is 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 helpful. I mean, this uh, the reason me, me that he comes to Brendan, just me forgetting to be the guy to bring up Mike Brown and laud Mike Brown is like a real real like shame on me. Upset. Here. It's an upset on the pod. It, that's yeah. That's tough. I mean, yeah. Look, this it, Mike Brown and all those connections you mentioned are exactly why these teams were or, uh, Kings and. Draymond were linked in the offseason, right? I mean, this is the this was the boogeyman that kind of probably helped Draymond get a better contract because they had some cap flexibility and allegedly a little bit of an interest in in bringing him in. Now it would be obviously matching up how a, a trade would look. It would be funny to me if Harrison Barnes returned to Golden State as part of this, but Draymond only makes twenty two million dollars this year, so you know you could do. Trey Lyles and Kevin Herter and some assortment of picks and and get your way there. So, yeah, I know I'm kind of breaking my own rule by saying that he has to go somewhere with shooters all around him, but I think Sabonis' ability to be uh, a playmaking hub would be somewhat similar to the, you know, playing next to Bogut, playing next to Looney, playing next to Iguodala, Livingston, successes that we've seen Draymond have where as long as everybody has a high IQ and can move the ball that can make up for having two non-shooters and we know the Kings are going to have all three of the other spots be shooters so it's I think survivable and they absolutely could use his defensive intensity and more of a clear just I mean identity any anything on the defensive end and and obviously that's what he's going to bring more than anything so that would probably be if I had to pick a target, pick a landing spot for him. But I don't I I'm not sure that they can convince another team to do it. Even Mike Brown, even the Kings. I just I also just think it's such a seismic thing to do that I think that team and whether it's Clay, whether it's him, I think any of those three guys getting traded is just such a seismic thing that it's really hard for me to imagine it happening. Clay or Draymond being traded is a historical trade in the sense of what they've meant to that franchise. So that it's hard to imagine it for me. Yeah, but they've also gotten much. I, I hear you on Clay and a lot of people say that, but with Draymond to me, it's like they both times he was a free agent. It at least got far enough where it was a conversation of where else he might land and the possibility that he, that he could leave. And the relationship between the organization in him, it, it seems way worse than between the organization and Clay. So I don't know if the Clay thing happens. I think his value is also pretty low, but I definitely could see it with Draymond. I think it's more to me about the receiving team having reservations than Golden State, honestly. I'm really, I, I, I would want this would be the spicy one that would really I think set the internet on fire in a big way. Yeah, and I forgot that he was not making actually like that much money. Also, Bob Myers is gone, and maybe Mike Dunleavy is just like less emotionally tied to what's going on here. And if Steve Kerr been there for a while though, 
Yeah, but it, I I think there the, the the way that Bob Myers was talked about and like there I just feel like there's a different energy there that maybe means the door is open, you know? Sure. Like there's just like they weren't in Mike Dunleavy wasn't necessarily like in the trenches for all of this in the way that that Bob Myers was. Who do you got next? I think we got to do Levine. I think Levine's kind of like slipped a little bit far. He just seems to get another obvious guy to be traded. I think there are some good fits for him. I think particularly the Kings would, would make some sense. The Magic, I think you could make an argument for, although that's not one I love. He just feels like a name that has been on the market for so long, and we kind of expect to be traded that I feel like we have to bring him up here. And for all of yeah. his flaws, it's a guy who can score the basketball at a high level when he's healthy. I, that's actually, to me, Brendan, I, this is a fair time to bring up health because Levine has a big injury history. That's mm-hmm. usually my, my he's actively my hurt right now. I mean, yeah, exactly. he's yeah, uh, yeah, certainly. So that that to me is wh- where I think you go. Is it's got to be Levine, and I I just a I think it'd be good for the Bulls just to do it, and B I do just think there's a world where he is impactful in the right situation, even if it's not 100. percent We look at it as like, oh, this the, the Kings or whomever could win a title with him. The Bulls absolutely. I mean, that's not even a question anymore i think the fact that they've been pretty competitive without him and haven't missed what he brings and kobe white has grown a little bit and everything that's happened during his injury would reaffirm what we already knew which is that they should trade him but i i just am not positive that the return is going to be enough to convince that very, very stubborn ownership group to pull the trigger on something, you know, because even more than right. Cause if you're like the GM and maybe in the back of your mind, you know, it's time mm-hmm. and you can make that case to ownership that look, Hey, we actually don't need Zach because we're winning without him. And if you look even further in previous seasons, they've kind of always been, similar whether he's playing or not i think the hardest part the part that would hold it all up is you're asking ownership to cut bait on a guy that they just paid 18 months ago for 40 cents on the dollar and that's embarrassing you know what i mean like that's just really admitting defeat admitting a big mistake on your part and having to take substantially less because you gave him a contract that he probably shouldn't have gotten and you're making your team worse in the pro like that that's the type of trade that telling these rich dudes who run this stuff to do is probably harder if we actually had to be the ones in those boardrooms having those conversations and i think like you know the trade machine fun would indicate so that's probably the biggest reason i don't i don't know if he'll get dealt because what are they getting for him like some bad one or two bad first round picks and like some salary i mean we ran through it i think i i said he'll that they would get less than the wizards got for beal which was not much yeah i'm looking on the fans poll like exactly being fake trades right now and like i can't tell if these are like realistic or like asinine you know what i mean it's like one of those mm-hmm. things where it's like I you can look to fake trades, like I I think about what I don't know if you have like a trade you Brendan historically that taught you a lesson. Mm-hmm. For me, weirdly, it was the Bojan Bogdanovic to the Pistons one because remember how long they'd been like we want multiple firsts. 
and then they got, it was like a second or something. It was like nothing, and it's like okay, maybe it's often just like less. Wait, they didn't trade him. What are you talking about? Bogdanovich anyway, still on him. the Pistons. No, oh, when, they, when they got him. When they got him. When they got him. Got it. Yeah, wasn't got it like it, a yeah. second or something? Like it was nothing, and it was like they for all mm-hmm. this time it was like oh this guy's going to be two firsts, and then they're nothing. And I just kind of think Levine might be the same thing. Even. I, Andre Drummond to me when he got traded to the Cavs is another good example because it was like here's a guy with a star reputation but clearly some flaws that is also going to maybe get it that either is he, in his case had a contract perhaps coming Levine already kind of got paid those guys have yeah. depreciated value because teams don't want there's a certain level of guy who's clearly very good that you don't want to pay a lot of money to Levine probably falls in that category and that probably diminishes what you're going to get back for him. So, like, I don't, I don't know, like, what the best. Can I, what? Would, actually, here's one I like. What about something involving a Ben Simmons, Zach Levine, like swap around? It's not terrible. Um, it's kind of sad I think that. No, oh, it's horribly sad. I think. Uh, <laughs> I think Ben will get bought out next summer, no matter what team he's on. Because after this season, he is on an expiring $40 million, and I, I don't know if he's ever going to play in the NBA again. So I just have a hard time calibrating what any front office or ownership group would do, including Brooklyn, with with Ben and his salary. So Same. yes, but you're I, probably having to compensate for that with, we'll give you, you know, what, who's the guy they Noah a clowny or whoever they drafted this year and a bunch of picks. And I just don't, at that point, I don't think Chicago is really, or I, like, I don't think Brooklyn yeah. is probably pulling the trigger on that. Um, all right, yeah. let's, let's move on from Levine. Cause he's also a guy we've talked about a ton. Yeah, Here's can, the one I, that I they, think. Yeah, go ahead. Inspired the whole thing here. Okay. A little bit my idea that we've been talking uh, talking about talking about for a while Jeremy Grant okay let's talk about him so if Portland is smart they will try their best to trade him sooner than later because the thing about his contract because it was so long is that the jump between years is pretty significant. Mm-hmm. Right now, Jeremy Grant only makes $27.6 million. Mm-hmm. That's not a lot of money. That's less mm-hmm. than, that's like half what Jalen Brown is making. <laughs> is he half as good as Jalen Brown? No. But by the end, he makes $36.4 million. So if, if I'm a team who might like the idea of adding Jeremy Grant to my roster... I want him on these years, this season, next season, the following season. And then maybe if, if he can help me, you know, win a title ideally or get a lot better or make my superstar player happy or whatever the goal is of the floor raising that he obviously does. I get that value when the financial hits not so significant. So Portland just, I think, has to be ready for that and understand that the value might not be great for them in the trade. But if they can swallow that and the receiving team is just desperate enough to bring him in for this early part of this contract and they can come to an agreement on a trade, I do think Grant can help somebody. It's just a very like narrow pathway to, to finding who that is. Well, I 
think I, Dallas everything you're saying. is an okay. option. Ooh. I think in a vacuum, Indiana is an option, but I don't think that they're the type of team that would stomach the future years, even if they told themselves that they could flip him again later on. Um, I've thought about Memphis potentially. Yeah. As a, as a, as a landing place, because I think that they do need offense, obviously. And they kind of have the good, but not great type of trade assets. That is probably all that Portland's really going to get there. The problem with him is I, I think he kind of is a four who doesn't protect the rim at all. And that's that's the tricky, what is he in 2024 kind of question. But if you're bringing him into a place where the defense has a structure that he can just kind of not fuck up and you can benefit from his offense, I think that, 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 that you can get there. I think there's a lot of places he could fit ideally, but it seems like you don't. I, it's just I I wonder considering the the the, the apron, how many teams are going to want to like think five years into the future and be like, do I really want Jeremy Grant on my books four years from now mm-hmm. when we don't know what the cap rate is? Like I just think that's my holdup. I think he could help a team. I there is a little bit of for me like he did diminish in my eyes when the Nuggets like made a big deal to get him brought him in he didn't want to stay and then they bring in Aaron Gordon and then they win the title and he's just been on this other odyssey than Aaron Gordon they're on like two parallel paths of, of their careers in a lot of ways that's they're a different size in, yeah they just have stuck in my head a little bit and, and like what they do and, and where that has gone and what he decided to do and he's earned a lot of money he should not like care but yeah I just don't skeptical. think that's on him I just think he's not a defensive difference maker I think that he's just not what Aaron Gordon is he's not going to block shots that's he fair. can't play center he's not going to rebound that he's a worse player than Aaron Gordon I mean I, I think we definitely learned that you know so Denver made the right choice but um Kleba and Hardaway and some some bad picks for Jeremy Grant sure I would do that I think he's house, a pretty I think he's a pretty darn good offensive player at this point, you know, and and I think he's proven that he doesn't need to be a crazy high usage guy, but he shot 40% from three last year. He's shooting 42% this year. He doesn't turn it over a ton. And I mean, his usage the past, you know, he played with Damian Lillard last year, had a 23% usage rate. He's playing with a bunch of young guards who chuck up shots this year and still efficient, still doing his thing. I just think he's a plug-and-play guy, but I, I hear you. I mean, like I said, I'm not trying to overstate like how easy it is to just do all the things I said, but if there's a certain type of team, which is why I said Dallas first, who has the right mix of desperation and need for a player like him, I think that some franchises are going to be fine saying the player option on the last year is a problem for that year, not right now. And right now, he'll help us. So that's where I'm at, but... Mm-hmm. Probably like thirty percent chance he gets traded would be what, yeah, I, what I would say. What if Atlanta just like swaps out their disappointing forwards for him? It's like, hey, you want to try to rebuild it, DeAndre Hunter, and we'll give you like matching salary and you roll. Portland would be thrilled with a younger, cheaper version of Jeremy Grant. I think if if that kind of thing happened, I think they would do it. But I don't think the Hawks. I don't think the Hawks are going to be buyers. So I'll put it that way. Yeah, I think that's fair. All right, let's do rapid fire through a couple more names before we get out of here. 
Hmm, where do I want to go? I'm going to just go Davis Berton's salary in the Thunder's picks just because I want the Thunder to do something. And the, the mm-hmm. list of guys in that $16, $17 million range, I'm not going to say it inspires a ton of confidence, if I'm being honest with you. I'm not like, mm-hmm. hell yeah, they can get a player X at that range. But it is something for them to do. If they don't want to go whole hog and be really aggressive, can you stack that salary in something else to get someone in the $20 million range? I mean, P.J. Washington's at 16.8. You know, again, marketing's mm-hmm. at 17. Um, Gary Trent's at 18.5. You know, Buddy Hield, who I don't think it's going to trade, is at 19. Like, Keldon Johnson's in there. Like, there's some at least some names. Like, do they just, like, rent Bruce, try to rent Bruce Brown? Like... There's a lot of different ways you could go. I think they're just a team that should buy to some degree. They have that contract just as a way to do it. Some other young guys, a bunch of picks where like they could trade some picks and not even really feel it in their pick bank account in their pick vault. Like they're at a team that's in a with that contract in a good spot to just buy something. You could convince me who it is. Again, there's this isn't the most inspiring list of names. In the middle here. Yeah, but they also have uh, Kenrich Williams. They have yep. uh, Poku's $5 million that they could trade. Um, maybe Misich. I'm not sure if they he would do that. I yeah. think that would... He's He's been playing. He's in the rotation lately, but yeah, not a lot. I I just think more so. You, you're the team that finally convinces him to come over, and then you trade him at the deadline. That'd be yeah. uh, pretty yeah. cruel, be probably. Cold but, world. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, they got to do something outcome. with it. I, I think at this point, it's like you know, it's a golden egg of a free trade. See what you can do, right? You know what I mean. Well, Even if yeah. it's a team that has a little bit of space that can take him, and you get somebody even cheaper than we're talking about, it's it's just it's free money basically on the trade market. So you might as well push there. And that's why I was talking about it, you know, more of less of a, of a marketing trade and more of a, some of the other names you said type of trade. Cause I think Burton's like, he's not adding any value as a player. So maybe there's a limit to what you can really get, but I think that you can still get a seventh, eighth man. Yeah. And th- you could go down the lower list and find something. I'd be curious. I'll be curious to see what they feel like they want is, is also just what I, I want to see them do something so I can learn something about what's going on in Sam Presti's head. And then they will do nothing and we will learn nothing. And then, yeah, and then we'll be like, okay, they're just going to roll this in the playoffs and they're going to like fuck around and like make the conference finals. We're going to be like, sure. Yeah. They need size is to answer your question. That's what they need. Um, Can we do Jared Allen? Yeah, let's. uh, Would be a real look if the Cavs don't want to do the Mitchell thing. Would be a real would this would be the other lever. This is the only other really aggressive lever they have in their trade holsters. If they want to trade Jared Allen, the Pelicans have been oft mentioned for like a year as a team that is interested in him. He's on a good contract. He's a little traditional, but he's had a really good run as of late, doing some DHOs, doing some some shooting from the middle of the floor, being really good with while well, Moby's out with this knee surgery. This would be the other lever for them, and I do think there would be teams interested in, in wanting to get him for what his contract is and what he is and where he's at in his career if they decided to go that route. The question is how many of them match up, I think, with what Cleveland would, would be wanting, which is probably an upgrade over the, the George Nang spacing force. But I thought about, like, could you do like an Alan Grant swap? But then uh, they have DeAndre Dominaton, so And they have uh, Robert Williams. Yeah. Also... Another kind of what are we doing with this guy center? Um, yeah, the question 
that I always run into with Allen is who wants him. Mm-hmm. Not that he's not a, a valuable player, but I think that the reality for him the rest of his career, unless he takes another leap, is he's probably playing a lot fewer minutes. You know, he's been at 32-ish since he got to Cleveland. I'm not sure championship teams want him to be playing 32 minutes given his limitations. I think he can start. I think he can play 25. I think he does a lot of things really well. I think bigs like him get undervalued in general, but I think at the playoff level, that's kind of for a reason. And so he's He's either going to go to a bad team where he eats innings. Yeah. Um, But yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a good comp. So He's either going to go to a bad team where he eats innings or he's going to go to a good team like the Clippers where Zubats doesn't play 32 minutes, right? So that's kind of the the difficulty. But I think he Can makes I- an amount of money where it it's it's not terrible. I think a lot of... When I hear a lot of fake Allen trades, people want to turn him into a bench guy. And I just think the like kind of politics of that are difficult. Hey, we can afford you. We, we gave up stuff to get you, but... Uh, could you play off the bench behind this young guy for us? Like that's, I just don't think that stuff really happens. Can I pitch you a fake one that's in in conference that I I think probably both teams say no or at least, but I, I it made it made sure. me think. Yeah, who says no? Who says no first? The Pacers sending out Miles Turner, or the Cavs sending out Jared Allen. The Pacers. Okay, that's right. I, I think Miles Turner is way better than Jared Allen. The sh- At each the of their peaks. Is- yeah, the shooting is would the shooting if the Cavs were gonna like try to match salary for salary, they'd say, Hey, let's just get a center who can shoot and try not to change anything else and the Pacers get a a guy who I think would be a really good lob, a better lob threat than Turner for Halley. I would get that, but I also just like then you're losing the shooting and your identity's changing a little bit, so it's not the easiest thing. They would they both really nerdy centers that would keep the energy right in the both markets. So yeah, it's a tough place to find the right fit for him. The problem, I think, with guys like this, considering he's already been paid, too, is in a league where, you know, Hartenstein is getting a little more than half of uh, uh, what Allen is, Mitchell Robinson's making less, and then even below that, you have, like, Nick Richards and Charlotte, who's pretty damn good for what he is and makes $5 million or Daniel Gafford making, like, 12 in Washington. Like, if you really try to look at who are the rental centers that teams might try to take on a $20 million guy is just not going to be anybody's first choice. So you're really starting to look at like, where could Allen go that he's a big part? And then you're back to, okay, well, who actually really wants that? It's he's kind of lost in this between eras a little bit um, because he got paid so much, but uh, what else you got? Who's your next one? The, the, just the last two things about Allen. The Pelicans as a team, I get why they'd want it. I don't know what the offer there is unless they're willing to... Like, I don't really know what the trade that entices Cleveland is unless it's just like they're happy with picks or could reroute the pick somewhere else. What about mm-hmm. a Keldon Johnson-Jared Allen trade? I don't want any more centers on the Spurs. Okay. What if we... What if they get a point guard? What if we just, like, find them a point guard and send them... So the Cavs don't have any point guards either, so that doesn't really help. Yeah, uh, Victor Wembanyama is the center for the Spurs. It seems like they're starting to realize that, so let's not give them any uh, weapons to forget it again. And they're they're going to start Trey Jones due to some injuries, so that's fun. Great. Yeah, forty right, games uh, too late. 
probably. I'm just going to go. You can just finish us out. What well, last one? I, let's go Terry Rozier. I, I wanted to just be like, hey, let's talk about Dorian Finney-Smith. But Rozier is a guy, we talked about him the other day. I think it would make sense if a team wants to like not over like not go whole hog on a guard trade, not like give up all their stuff for a guard trade, but get some kind of scoring burst at a decent contract number. I think he's a good player. He's not going to be scared. I don't hate it. If the Lakers did like some kind of Russell Rogier swap and like that was their big move and they kept their some other assets dry, LeBron's probably leaking that he's mad. But I also kind of understand like why you would go that route. That would be that would be the other one to me. The other name I thought about is just Kelly Olynyk because I think that guy we talked with him the other day too. That's a guy that's going to get on a team that's a contender and will help. Like that would be a fun Thunder trade if they could finagle that one. That would be one I would like for them. I think he could fit a bunch of different places as well. Um, there's actually a, a sneakily Brendan a lot of role guys that we didn't get to that I do think could help teams if they're moved. The question is like what they're prices because I don't really know what the market is for role guys anymore if I'm being honest I don't really understand like what that's going to look like this year but I think there's a good mean? amount of role I mean, guys on there seems like a million know, like, seconds is like the the going rate yeah, for a difference yeah. making bench player um <clears throat> yeah I it seems like Knicks fans like Terry Rozier I don't know why they're all wanting so many small guards on their team but if you're gonna I, trade I brought for a small up the guard, Lakers fit. Yeah, if you're gonna, if the Knicks are gonna trade for a small guard, just like do the Mitchell thing. That's like the full version of it, and don't do like the Rozier version of it. That is like a weirder fit because he's not really even a two next to Brunt. You know what I mean? Like he's only a two. I, but I think Rozier is a bench player, whereas oh, yeah. Donovan Mitchell is the best player on your team. <laughs> I mean, what a what, a, what uh, about so the Magic I think Rozier is like the replace quickly kind of. I think that's why Knicks fans oh, have gravitated because yeah. oh, it's okay. like we need bench scoring. We need a kind of microwave guy. Um, I like the Magic fit. I think he's a little similar to Cole Anthony, so I don't think they would do it. But Rozier's the kind of guy that could go anywhere. He could go to any good team, and as long as he buys in, he's you know what you're getting. You're getting 12 points a night off the bench with the potential for 30. Sometimes, you know what I mean. I'm staring at the. I'm staring at the. I'm looking at like who else could be who'd be fun for him that like needs to buy like that. The, if, what if the Kings just said f playing defense and just like got another scoring? Like I don't think that's the real answer. Like I want them to get Caruso as much. I think as they want Malik them to get Monk's Siakam. better than Terry Rozier. Yeah, that's so. true. That's true. I'm just saying, what if they try to score 160 points a game? Is kind of was kind of my thought process. Um, there's not really a team in the West. Like like the well, the Wolves are in cat in a cap thing, but they like need another guard. I think in the worst way, but probably not one that expensive. Mm-hmm. They're like probably no, they don't really have a way to. They're probably hoping Malcolm Brogdon like gets bought out and they can just be like, hey, Malcolm, can you just like hang out in Minneapolis for a couple months? Yeah, Brogdon's the guy that I was going to say next if I took another turn. Brogdon is too good to get bought out. He's going to be well, traded somewhere. So let's just talk about him for a second. We'll wrap up on him. I, I, he won six men of the year last year and he's like floating around in Portland right now. So I think you're probably right. Yeah, I think Brogdon, he only makes uh, $22 million this year and $22 million next year, <clears throat> to me, he should just go to the Heat. They don't have a mm. perfect package for that, though, is the problem. Um, 
you're probably looking at it. Can Portland also those two teams making a trade would be kind of hilarious. Uh, but I, I just like I just like Brogdon as a fit there. Um, would, would yeah, be all, any folks. of these guards could go anywhere. I mean, that's the thing. Like, yeah. put a, a scoring guard who can fit on a good team on any contender, and they'll be happy. I think both those guys will have maybe a little bit of a bidding war behind them. I think the Warriors could use a player like that too. All time social media day would be the day like the the Blazers like trade Malcolm Brogdon to the Heat, but didn't trade Damian Lillard there. That would be. Yeah, but it's predictable enough that I think it would pass. Considering the I, Heat wanted Holiday the minute that the Bucks trade went through, it's like we already kind of had our laugh at Miami for their uh, desperation to get another guard. But is there any is there anyone else on this list? I'm going to read some names and then we can we can get out of here. D'Angelo Russell, Kelly Olynyk, DeAndre Hunter. Clint Capella, Dillon Wright, Doug McDermott, Tyus Jones, Monty Morris, Dorian Finney-Smith, Gary Trent Jr., P.J. Tucker, Jordan Clarkson, Bojan Bogdanovic, and Bogdan Bogdanovic. You just said, are there any other players? Those are all players. Well, Was there something you wanted they, me they, to... No, that, that you wanted, that you just feel like worth were worth a, worth a second mention or just kind of acknowledging that they exist in the scope of this conversation that could actually make a difference at the deadline. I mean, I think Bogdan Bogdanovich fits exactly the mold we were just talking about with Rogier and with um, Brogdon. Obviously, D'Angelo Russell is kind of a version of that, but we know how that kind of experiment can go. I think Bogdan Bogdanovich is, to me, is one of the more underrated players in the entire league. That guy is a flamethrower and he's big. He does not help you on the defensive end, but he is taking nine threes a game this season and making 38% of them. He hasn't had a season below 37% outside of uh, one year in Sacramento when he was at 36%. Like he, uh, he is a bucket getter. He is a sniper from deep and he's again, six, five. So if a contender could get him, like I would feel great, but that would kind of, you know, again, be a pretty, Big time Atlanta teardown if they're getting to Murray and Capella and Hunter and Bogdanovich all kind of, you know, available. I don't know if they'd trade all of them, but even two of those guys going would be pretty significant. So we'll have to see. Yeah, I was trying to I was trying the other day to try to find a Bogdanovich to the Celtics trade, but um, they're going to be in a weird money situation. And I'm not sure like they have the right. They don't really have like the salaries to match him unless yeah, they're, they they're pretty him. much are what they are outside of a tiny move yeah luke court can you flip luke cornett or some of these other guys at two million dollars into, into something else and yeah see what you got so maybe lamar stevens isn't like your emergency power forward or they should get a center though i would say i would say just one other center that isn't like a two-way guy would make me feel good probably a little just in case al horford like shows his age ever mm-hmm so, yeah, they'll they'll All be right. interesting, but probably not getting anybody great. No, they traded for Drew Holiday, so I think they're covered. They made a move. Yeah, you might have heard about it. Yeah, might have heard about it. We might have talked about it on this year podcast, but that is going to be it for the January 5th episode of Locked, excuse, not Locked On, of the Just Basketball Show. My brain is flying here at the end. want to remind you to check out our friends at Thrive Fantasy. Check out our friends at Homage. I'm Chris Manning. That is Brendan Clean. Find us on YouTube. Subscribe if you're watching us here. Please subscribe in your podcast platform of choice. Thanks again. 
to Brendan. Thanks again to our t- production team in the back end. We'll talk to you next week. More Just Basketball show. More hoops coming. Maybe some more trade rumors. Enjoy the weekend.